What's good, anybody out there? This is your friendly Crimson Stain, and welcome to the Grave Wax Podcast. Uh, tonight's episode 10, and I think I've got a very excellent film for us to review. This movie is pretty much universally known as the funniest horror comedy of all time. That's right, I'm talking about Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Now, even though this movie is really, really funny, it also has its serious side, too. So I'm glad we're reviewing it. We're going to discuss everything um, and get down to it. It's like, what, what's the deal with this movie? And I think you have to, first of all, think about how it was conceived. The producers, I believe, wanted just kind of a quick cash-in on a body count slasher movie. And that's not what they got necessarily. They got this movie from uh, uh, John McNaughton, the director. And this movie has a lot more to it. This isn't Steve Christie and his dumbass employees getting killed out in the woods. Uh, not to talk shit about Friday the 13th, because I did just get that Scream Factory box set, and it's pretty excellent, so I'm I'm liking it. Uh, at least up to uh, part six. Anyway, uh, for this movie, the disturbing aspect of it, there is some blood and gore in it, but more than that, it's really just the hatred and the brutality in the uh, killers because we're following the killers. We're not following the victims very much. Although, uh, you know, you never know who's going to be a victim in, in any moments. This is a very violent world that these characters inhabit in this uh, kind of rundown part of Chicago in the 80s. And this isn't going to be like a franchise type of killer with like a mask or anything. This is going to be, you're going to get pretty good characters, pretty good backstory and just kind of emotional resonance with, you know, how how does someone get into such a uh, devolved state of existence in the first place? So with that in mind, let's let's talk about this film. We're going to go by it uh, beat by beat. I mean that quite literally in, in some places. So the first thing about it is when the credits roll, they have this great chilling theme song. It's like this minimalist score. I can't remember if John McNaughton wrote this or not, but... It's just a really good, and if you've ever heard it and seen this movie, then it's probably uh, playing in your mind now, maybe making the blood run a little cold, because it is very disturbing, and it matches perfectly what we're about to uh, witness. And once the images start coming up on screen, we start getting the brutality right away. There's, like, bloody naked women everywhere. Intercut with just Henry going about his day, paying for his meal at a diner, and buying some cool cigarettes, and driving around and his uh, beater, his bucket, uh, there's going to be these very, like, still shots of these women. Like, there's one bloody naked woman in a field, and there'll be, like, some clerks in a liquor store who were shot dead. Uh, there's, like, a woman with, like, a Coke bottle, like, actually stuck into her face. Uh, there's all kinds of, like, just very violated, uh, disturbed uh, dead bodies here. And so Henry's a busy guy. I don't I don't think this was all in one day, but man, he's either way. I mean, this guy, he really gets around. And so basically we're going to get into his world and we're getting we're going to follow this character very closely, but at this opening we're just seeing him as basically a a kind of predator in disguise. Uh someone who's just kind of around, you know, on the street, could be anywhere, could be anyone. But he definitely has some like quiet intensity uh, within him that you know explodes in these obvious uh, sadistic crimes. And of course, uh, Henry is Michael Rooker, the great Michael Rooker. 
So at one point, he's going to stop into this shopping mall parking lot, and he's just examining all these women. He's just sitting in his car examining all these women getting into their cars with their shopping bags and stuff. And it really gives you pause because you could be one of these uh, these people just going about your day, not realizing you're, you're just one hair's breadth away from uh, being attacked by this uh, crazy guy. And so uh, you also see, like... He ends up uh, following this one, like, there's a lot of driving footage. Like, that's something that happens when these indie productions, whenever they, you know, film someone driving, they usually use all the footage they shoot. And this is no exception, but this is probably the best use of it because the tension is real. Like, you don't know, uh, is this person going to get away? Is he going to make a really crazy move? You know, you just don't know. Plus, it's, I always love driving shots in old uh, older movies because then you get to see the, the streets as they were back in the day, like decades ago. It's like one of the most authentic things ever when these uh, people are just shooting on the street. But there's going to be a very important payoff to this, which is one, he's, he's following this woman home, and, he, and she actually does pull up into this you know, nice suburban house. And what happens is the husband meets her uh, at her car and starts helping her unload the trunk. And with that, Henry drives off. And that's a very important point that uh, these guys, they're looking for the easiest, weakest, most vulnerable person uh, to attack. So don't ever be that person or you'll deserve it. Uh, so what really makes this scene like this is if, if you don't get this scene, you're probably not going to get this movie, which is what makes it so disturbing is that uh, he picks up this hitchhiker. Uh, with her guitar and there's just something about the way it's done i can't really describe it but just the way it's done there's such doom uh in every little frame of this uh exchange between these two actors and it's like it's like it's i'm usually pretty cognizant of you know this is just a movie you're just watching it for fun but this this is the movie where you kind of like step out and say oh this could absolutely be real it kind of looks real to me uh and so that's just another reason why it's one of the best horror movies uh certainly of the 80s but really of all time for me Um, but from there we're gonna meet the next character which is becky now she's at an airport and she's meeting her brother otis becky is kind of a cute blonde but she looks like she's seen a few things in her life Uh, she doesn't look like she's had a very easy life she doesn't look like she's very happy as she's waiting here in this airport and when she meets otis otis is a bit odious you might say he's got this uh, dirty jack daniels cap and and he's saying uh, you look terrible it's like he's telling you you look terrible so you know that this is not a great situation and she just starts crying in public and uh he just he's just kind of uh curt and rude and um you know that's basically you can you can tell the dynamic of uh these people who are brother and sister you can kind of tell the dynamic of what's going on here and the great thing about otis the the reason He's a guy you love to hate until you just hate love to until you just hate him. Is that uh, whenever they uh, get up to go, she's got two uh, luggage bags, one huge suitcase and one little one, and he picks up the little one and walks off with it. So I mean that's that's like why he's such a great character. And you know I love when you can just eco- economically just do a little something like that and it says so much. So uh, he's driving her to their new pl- to her new place, which is you know they're going to share the house together, and uh, of course. It's very obvious that she's uh, leaving an abusive relationship, surprise, surprise. And so she's still very reticent to talk. She doesn't want to say it, talk about anything, and she just wants to avoid talking about it. And so he's like, yeah, okay, we don't have to talk about it. 
forget it. We'll just not talk about it at all. It's like, uh, so are you hungry? Uh, you think Leroy's hungry? And so it's like, that's another one of those great little digs. Otis has got, he's got such a great mind for the perverse. It's too bad he couldn't put his, uh, his talent and skills to productive use. But, you know, I mean, when you have teeth like that, you're obviously a bad person. And Otis is played by the great Tom Tolls, by the way. So once they're at home, Otis, he just continues teasing her about her life, her life choices. And she was a stripper, apparently. And he, he, Otis, you know, if there's one word you you could use to describe Otis, it would be infectious, I think. So he has this infectious cackle that he kind of breaks out at moments whenever he's particularly pleased with his own uh, commentary. And as soon as uh, they get in, they explain a few uh, details about Becky, in walks Henry, who's the um, who's a, a roommate with Otis. And what has he got? He's got that guitar case. So, I mean, like, again, you don't have to spell out what's happening. And that's just a very effective way of storytelling. I love that part of it. And um, I was also very, there's some glances exchanged between Becky and Henry. So, you know, there's going to be some tension there. And uh, Otis just introduces them. And Henry very gallantly offers um, uh, Becky this, his room, the spare room, apparently. So he'll just have to sleep on the couch. So uh, it's just one of those bohemian things that, uh, of course, is uh, romanticized, but is, of course, always terrible and uh, bad. Now, from there, we're going to get a look, look into uh, Henry and what he does for a job. Now, he's been released from prison and he's working as an exterminator. So he's going into people's homes and spraying their uh, their house for bugs, which is, of course, very disturbing. Now, when he uh, gets off work, he goes and talks to his boss. And this is a guy with an awesome sports coat. That's what we need to learn about this guy. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of work, which you would think there would be always be endless work for an exterminator in a place like Chicago. But no, he gets laid off. And uh, he lets him keep the sprayer, though. So, unfortunately, you know, he probably could have saved five or six lives if only he had taken that sprayer back from Henry. But Henry gets to then, on the pretense of being an exterminator, walk, charm his way into someone's house and, uh, you know, kill them as, as a bug sprayer. I, I would like, I should have researched this, but of course, I didn't think about it till just this moment that... I should look up and see who, um, if anyone ever, a real-life serial killer ever used uh, the bug spray rig as the the motivation to get in someone's house. But uh, it stands the reason, I mean, that someone did. Anyway, uh, Henry's got his rig, and he goes through this nice suburb, and there's even some kids playing ball out on the sidewalk just to illustrate the point of how nice and homey this place is. But here comes the predator swimming up sidewalk and he's going to go to that back to that earlier woman from the uh, mall that he followed he goes to her house she must have been very attractive to him what a compliment because uh, anyway he he knocks on her door and he gets inside which is why you know like just be suspicious of everyone at all times and uh shoot them if they uh if they if, if the minimalist po uh, provocation because you'll, you might be saving yourself uh, but they're going to they don't show like the murder itself, but you cut inside, uh, inside, and you see that this woman is lifeless on her couch, tied up, and she's covered with like cigarette burns, and she's watching public domain cartoons, which is what people are always watching in these uh, low budget films. And I'm sure since this uh, production company 
was built off of, you know, public domain stuff, marketing that uh, for the video market that I'm sure they knew. Uh, just the thing to put on the television for this corpse to watch. And while he's doing that, Otis is also working. He's working in a gas station, which uh, you get to see what a, what a lightweight worker uh, Otis is. He's not a fan of, you know, customer service, which who is? And uh, I just empathize with him here a little bit. But he's humoring this old lady, uh, just kind of checking uh, her tires very um, minimally, let's say, minimal service there. But once he gets done with the old bag, he sees there's this little uh, roadster uh, parked across the way. So he goes over, and it's this guy he knows. It's a rich jock high schooler, of course, and who wants to buy some weed. So Otis is nothing if not entrepreneurial. He's got his little weed business going. And he tells him to he's going to meet him at uh, 6.30 tomorrow, and he'll have it for him. And he wags his tongue at this kid, and, you know, the kid's like, this guy's a fucking pervert. So, I mean, Otis, I mean, this is the first, this might be the biggest sign that Otis might not be the stand-up character we initially thought he was going to be. But uh, they're, uh, they end up back at uh, the house. Otis and Becky are discussing Henry. And, you know, he gives the backstory on him about how he met Henry in prison. And Henry, what did he do? Well, he killed his mama. So, and he, and of course, he leads off with, now, don't tell him I told you this, but uh, apparently uh, mama and one of her boyfriends uh, got killed with a bat by Henry. And then that's when Henry enters, and they have this nice fish, fish dinner with some joints afterward. And uh, then Otis leaves. He says he's got to run some errands. So Becky and Henry, they're going to play some cards, and they're going to have some nice, friendly banter, like telling, um, like, <laughs> like telling uh, her that, uh, yeah, my dad, he got his legs cut off, and my brother was deformed, uh, and he, then he died pretty early. And then you think, oh, well, that's... Henry was probably like, okay, I got the best story. Deal's done. Then Becky tells her story. Oh, my God. This is, this is like, the best monologue. It's, like completely heartbreaking it's totally believable uh you believe this woman like she's like the greatest actress in this moment and she just tells this horrible story about uh being abused by her dad on so many different levels and it just it totally explains you know how does someone end up in these type of situations well like this is a pretty good way to 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 get there henry i mean it's a very touching scene but at the same time henry's got to be like this bitch gun topped me I've, I've got the worst home life story of all time and then you're gonna come in here with your dad raping you and stuff it's it's a damn shame but uh just really great acting and it's i don't know if people uh re realize how uh amazing that is like most good movies like you know quote unquote good movies don't have anything that uh that raw and and just amazing on screen so so after that becky just like dumps it on the table and says uh did you really kill your mama which is funny is like oh just just made her promise not to fucking say that and of course that's instantly what she's going to go with and uh so you know then they get into that subject and that uh you know henry's like well you know by the way she was a whore uh, and by the way, she would make me watch her do her business and she would make me wear a dress while she was doing it. So, uh, yeah, I guess I did have to, at one point, beat her to death with a bat, you know? And, uh, the, uh, one other little nuance to this is, 
at one point she says something like very innocuous, like just like what first of all, what can you possibly say in response to this? And so she manages to find anything to say, to which point he has like this real flash of anger and says, You think I'm lying? And like that that right there is like the the essence of the character where you're right there with him, you can almost forgive him, or you at least you at least forget exactly what a bit of a monster he is, because you you're just in that moment you just understand this is the human side of him and how the inhuman things that were done to him and you can actually uh, empathize with him in that moment but the monster is always underneath and it's always trying to get out in these weird ways and uh, so that's another part that makes this such a masterful you know not cliche fun horror movie this is like the real thing I mean at least for hyper reality's sake it's real uh, realistic. So anyway, uh, what's funny is Becky's, first of all, she's like into it. She's like, I feel like I've known you forever and ever. She's like falling in love with this Henry guy. And at the same time, uh, when he's saying like, yeah, when I was 14, I shot her after saying, you know, he hit her with a bat or whatever. And then Becky's going to actually go ahead and contradict him and call him on it, which is like, you know what, (laughs) Becky, maybe have a little bit more tact Uh, with this guy you don't really know and are living with. But, uh, hey, I mean, she feels like she's known him forever and ever. And they actually do end up holding hands at one point, but that's when Otis walks in and they have to pull away. And so you kind of get the triangular uh, tension going with that. And so, anyway, the next day, Becky's going to go looking for a job. She's going to go see the town, see see what it's all about. And there's this amazing shot uh, that's kind of legendary, you know the story of this movie where she's walking up a subway uh stairs and she's there's like these two guys fighting on the street arguing on the street anyway uh right you know kind of hanging onto the the staircase and they were actually real people in a real argument and they would not uh move to you know suit these uh filmmakers uh, needing to get this shot so they just filmed around them and it ended up being one of the most amazing uh little shots it's really cool so that's an awesome shot anyway so she's seeing the, the city she gets a, some classified ads and goes walking around town to apply for these jobs and she's going to end up uh, getting a job as a shampoo girl which she tells otis uh, over dinner that night a lot of scenes at this dinner table it seems and uh, otis lets the cat out of the bag that uh, becky was a stripper and now henry knows this and you know she kind of like plays it off and she also has a shirt. She got a, she got her I Love Chicago shirt, which they can't read. They cannot read this uh, this shirt. So that's another little le- level to them. And at one point, Otis asks for a beer. So she gets him one for the fridge, and as she hands it to him, he grabs her by the arm and kind of pulls pulls her into him. And that's when uh, Henry stops him. It's very awkward, and it's like, please don't uh, make a move on your sister. Not in front of me for damn sure and uh so henry like asserts alpha status and O has uh otis has to like let her go and uh now he, he's kind of pissed off and there, there's a lot of awkward uh, angry tension in the room but becky says hey why don't you guys go out and get a beer you know i'll, I'll clean up and, and and everything and you guys just uh have a good time out there so they actually say okay well we'll just do that and then this is the greatest uh, part of the movie, actually. 
that's not talked about very much, which is when Otis comes out with his going out shirt, which is this shiny aqua blue green shirt. Looks like a disco ball or something. It's just the funniest shirt you just wouldn't expect to see, and especially since it's Otis wearing it. I mean, it's just genius. Just genius. So they're going to go out. So cue the gritty uh, street montage with some blues rock playing, some Chicago blues rock. And their idea of a good time is to pick up two hunk- two hookers and go to a back alley. And uh, so I think Henry's in the back seat with one and Otis is in the front seat with her with his uh, hooker. And, you know, you know, this guy, Henry, I mean, he seems like he's the more stable one of the two. But it turns out, you know, his demons just really do get let out at the craziest times. And oddly enough, around women, it appears, because he ends up like killing one of them. All right. It's, these things happen, but, uh, you know, it's a bigger deal than you might think because then the other hooker starts making a big deal about this. So he's got to kill her too. And Otis isn't too big of a help at this point. He's shocked. He is not a killer, apparently not a, uh, that's not his quite, quite his bag at the moment, but, uh, Henry's got to like, now he's got to like, get rid of these bodies which he just kind of drags them out of the car and throws them behind a dumpster you know one of their shoes falls off it's a very touching little element there otis is too shocked to drive so henry's got to get in the driver's seat and he says the immortal lines uh nothing's gonna happen because nothing happened and i don't know nothing about it whatever it was so i mean you can't get you can't get better than that that's that's that's, quote me on that that's a great line uh but henry does know what to do after after this, what you got to do is you got to get some coffee and some French fries. And so Otis starts eating, and once he starts uh, let's eat one, then he starts regaining his appetite. And of course, that's sim- symbolic of his journey to acceptance, uh, clearly symbolized by these French fries, that he too will go on this macabre journey of sadism and murder. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool for a movie. Uh, we're we're in good hands here. So next. Henry and Otis have got to talk about this. They've got to, like, establish exactly what's going on, which is, he asks, uh, Henry asks Otis, you know, well, you ain't never killed before. And Otis says, you know, you can't, you can't be a bitch in front of, uh, your, your boy. So he says, I ain't never saying that. I'm just saying maybe I didn't have no choice. Uh, and then Henry, just ever the philosopher of, of this, uh, domain says, well, you ain't got no choice here. Uh, and then he does he does this thing the ambiguous thing you know the feeling it's always the same and it's always different uh, he says and he says something that's unequivocally true especially in this brutal environment which is open your eyes it's you or them of course not necessarily with the hookers but you know in general uh, sometimes maybe you can put put yourself in that situation where you have to I'm sure uh, anyway, uh, Henry gets them get, gets them the last beer, and they they share it. So that's kind of another symbolic act there. And of course, the funny thing is, all this time Becky's just you know giving people shampoos and listening to them their gossip. It's quite a different world. Now, the next fateful moment in these people's lives happens the day that Otis is watching TV, and the TV starts to give him trouble with the picture. So he starts whacking it, as you do. Oh, oh damn. he starts hitting the TV as you do. And uh, that breaks the TV finally. The TV just completely goes out. And so this is terrible. This is this is before smartphones. This is before the internet, before laptops, anything. All you got is that damn TV. If 
you can't even read a shirt that says I love Chicago, you know, you're you're not caring about uh, books or papers or magazines or anything. You got to have that TV. So it's a big emergency in their lives. So they're going to go out out and pick a new TV. Apparently, this was before Circuit City or Best Buy. Uh, all all you had was a dark back alley where they sold. Uh, probably illicit merchandise now this place they go to this place to buy uh, their electronic gear it's like it's down this dark alley that's like twice as dark as where they took the hookers i mean this place is a real hole in the wall and uh, they have to knock on like the garage door which opens and inside they find a, a very strange man now this man is he rules this guy i think this was the only film he was ever in he wasn't really an actor he was this guy who did uh like he, he like collected footage uh, I'm going to describe this badly but he basically collected footage uh, for he was an expert on public domain footage of stuff you could put into you know releases and, you know stuff they used to have like uh, VHS tapes you could buy about Al Capone or wrestling or whatever anyway this guy was the guy f- for this production company and so somehow he ended up being put in this movie and he's just perfect he's this um He's a, a very rotund individual. I don't want to be uh, insulting or anything, but he is very, he has a very unique presence on the screen, and he's just a he plays like the rudest asshole ever. It's so cool to watch him because if these two guys just walked into your establishment where you're all alone, there's probably no one around that's going to give a shit for miles. Uh, what happens to you? Uh, you? You might be a bit more diplomatic, but not this guy. This guy. He probably just doesn't care about life anymore. And he's just he's sitting at his desk with a soldering iron and his, all these this merchandise around him he's got to sell. And he gets into this very funny conversation about, uh, you know, what kind of TV do you want? How much money do you have? And the exchange, it just devolves very quickly. He's very insulting. And uh, it all ends up, you got to see this scene. This is a perfect scene. But it all ends up with uh, him getting uh, stabbed with a soldering iron. Stabbed with your own soldering iron. That's a horrible way to go out. And then they crash the cheap TV over his head. And then uh, the next thing you know, uh, Henry's got a great brand new TV and a camcorder as well. So we jump into the next scene. And they're filming themselves. They're listening to Psycho by the Sonics. And dancing around, having a great time. And uh, old Becky, she even kisses old Henry. And Henry, Henry ends up just getting pissed off. Like, any anything just leads to badness at all times, which it's, it's a shame. It's too bad he had those horrible uh, life circumstances that uh, fried his brain in such a way. Because uh, otherwise, he would have been having a great time. On the other hand, he probably wouldn't have that awesome camcorder. So, I mean, it's a toss-up. You never know. Uh, but after that, we have to cut to the next day and here's one where we're going to get a little bit of a glimpse back into otis's life because he's got to visit his parole officer and otis just keeps it real he just shows up just as he always appears he's got his jack daniels hat his grimy clothes i mean he just does not care about uh presentation and he really doesn't have to because this parole officer couldn't be less interested he's very distracted he has a very short meeting and uh, he's just like, well, hey, you know what? Uh, I got to go pick up my kid from the dentist. So uh, keep, stay out of trouble. And, you know, I wonder if he was being insensitive to uh, Otis considering uh, Otis's grill. But whatever, it doesn't matter to him. All, all he cares about is, okay, he's, he's got his little checkpoint off and he's good to go. 
And now that that whole parole officer thing's settled, he gets to go and sell his weed to a high school kid. So uh, that's pretty great. Uh, he gets into the car, the kid's car, to uh, sell him the weed. And, or actually, I think this time the kid gets into his car. But uh, so they sell the weed. He sells him the weed, the ounce or whatever. And then he's got a J uh, rolled up. He's like, hey, you want to smoke this? And uh, he says, yeah. But of course, ain't nothing free from uh, Otis. Because he almost instantly just puts his hand on this kid's knee, which is just uh, very disturbing. That's one of the most disturbing things about uh, Otis is his uh, very unwanted advances towards just about everybody, uh, you know. So the kid, the kid's nothing if not industrious and resourceful because he just he wallops uh, Otis right in, in the face and uh, escapes in like two seconds. So it's a masterful escape. Like if you're uh, planning on... Uh, buying illicit substances from a dubious a man of dubious moral character it's always well to keep in mind that you might have to execute a, a maneuver like that so just keep that in mind now the whole nose punching thing does not go particularly well for otis uh he's a little bit upset about the whole thing so we we catch him in the next scene staring in the mirror henry's like kind of nursing him a little bit to an extent uh, as he looks at his bloody nose Otis is all for like just killing this kid, and uh, Henry's got to be the voice of reason here because he's like, you know what, that'd be a mistake. You're linked to him. People know that you've been spotted uh, with him, and if, if if something happens to him, you're gonna come up on the radar really fast. And of course, Otis is like, well, it's doing look to coom. Uh, so Henry suggests, well, how about we just take a ride? And so. We go for another ride in the grimy Chicago uh, streets, and they end up pulling into this uh, like extended underpass. I don't know what kind of, you know, I don't. I'm not used to this kind of uh, concrete hell of this uh, city here, but it's an extended underpass. It's very dark. It's almost like a huge cavern. It seems to go on for a mile or so, and they just kind of pull off to the side there, and they kind of act. I mean, this car is a total bucket, so it, you could totally imagine that this thing breaks down all the time. So they kind of put up the hood and kind of... They're, they're basically camouflaging themselves. And sure enough, some idiot good Samaritan's going to pull over and ask for help. And the guy who pulls over, he doesn't look like he's that mechanically inclined. So he's just a do-gooder. Uh, you know, really no big loss because um, Otis has a gun on him and he just without much provoking, just fires on the guy, hits him like three times, and we get to hear the great Otis cackle once again, this time in the echoing boom of that underpass. Uh, and from there, you know, I mean, that's got, that was a very high point for this, this crew. Uh, this was this was at them at their best time. So they're celebrating the next day. They're out in the street uh, or just out in Chicago somewhere, and they're actually got the camcorder out, and they're filming this bum fight that's going on. This is like pre-bum fight, bum fight. Uh, they, if only they could have uh, figured out a way to market this and sell it, the tapes, maybe they, well, they probably still would be killing each other, uh, other people, so never mind. It's a good, th good thing they didn't get the added power of becoming the creator of bum fights. But uh, this is just a chance for Henry to kind of, you know, uh, wax poetic on this insider knowledge that he has this experience of uh, his expertise in the art of murder and um there's also one like real cool moment where henry has to assert himself because uh otis isn't showing the proper res respect for his uh, discourse and so that's 
I, I love those little uh, interplays there. And then the the well, the wave of crime continues because there's gonna be a home invasion. There's a we're seeing this woman. She's being held by Otis. This is very brutal. This is the most brutal scene uh, in the whole movie, I would think. Uh, she's just being she's being stripped. She's being assaulted. The husband is in the house and he's tied up. Uh, and and while that happens, uh, the son comes in, the, like teenage son. So Henry has to grab him and wrestle in him. Uh, they stab the husband. Uh, Otis gets the woman's dead, ends up uh, dead. And Otis is going to go for the body. And uh, Henry has to stop him and say, uh, no, Otis. You know, Otis, he's just, he's very encourageable. He's very, and he also is very disappointed. And it turns out we pull back. This is another masterful touch from the director here. It's actually a videotape. This thing has been taped. It's already happened. It's in the can. And they're watching it on their new TV. And it's a great commentary on video violence and the hypnotic effect it has, especially on Otis, who wants to watch it again. He wants to watch it in slow motion. It's pretty crazy. Um, from there, we're going to check in on Becky. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but Becky's played by Tracy Arnold. So she's just... One of my favorite characters. Uh, this is just, again, a great performance. So she's going to call home. And surprise, surprise, there's no good news. So uh, that's that's what Becky's up to. So we cut back to Otis and Henry. And the, the duo, It's, it's there's some stress in the, in the partnership here. Because they're out driving around. Otis is hanging out this passenger side, uh, filming people on the street, trying to film every woman. And uh, he's as he leans out, he actually ends up breaking the camera. It like smashes into something, and this causes like a huge argument. And uh, Otis is really mad at first, but then once he sees how mad Henry gets, like he almost tries to back down, but it's really too far gone for this. So he's just gonna have to. They pull over, and he's just gonna have to step out and give it some time, uh, let things cool over on their own. Because uh, things are just overheating. You would think with all the murder, there'd be like a lot less tension. But it turns out there's a lot more. So, I mean, the things you learn from movies, it's I guess it's important. So that evening, Henry and Becky are home, ostensibly alone. And they're just kind of talking. And it turns out what Becky found out was that Leroy's actually going to jail. So I guess she did get some good news. Uh, Leroy is going to be in jail. So she wants to go back home. She wants to leave. Chicago is... Not the paradise uh, she might have thought it would be, but uh, it's going to give her a chance to at least get back. And she's inviting Henry to go with her. And it's it's very strange. You might wonder, I mean, it's natural to wonder, like, why does she go for this Henry guy? And, of course, there's just the whole matter of being, you know, raped by your dad. So, I mean, it's, it's a you're off on the wrong foot. Let's put it this way. Uh, so there's a lot of just trauma and mixed signals and bad wiring that happen uh, just on its own. And the thing about it is is that when people hook up in, uh, in an abusive relationship, the, I've never seen it to where the abuser just starts out saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. It always starts out pretty good or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the situation may be. It starts out innocuous benign it seems like things are going to go good it always when you find yourself in an abusive situation it always is in the manner of falling into a trap so it often ironically plays out when someone comes up to someone with that kind of history and they and they're being really nice and charming and whatever it ironically can sometimes work against that person because that's 
what sets off the red flags because the person knows, oh, I know I'm, I walked into this before. I don't want to walk into it again. So people often value their freedom uh, much more afterwards and are very suspicious of people's intent. Uh, you know, so I think by Becky questioning Henry and, and like getting his backstory and knowing his demons and feeling this sort of uh, sympathy with that and understanding where he's coming from, uh, that's why she's more attached to him, uh, as dangerous as he might be with his like anger under the surface. But, uh, you know, he is the nicest person in her life. So there's that. And in fact, he um, says, I've got a, a Visa card, which is great product placement. Let's go have a steak dinner to celebrate. So they do. And apparently that goes well. When they come back, they notice uh, Otis is uh, passed out on the couch. And um, of course, she uh, Becky goes off to, I don't know, uh, get ready, uh, brush her teeth or whatever it is. Um, and and it's Henry's the one who notices that Otis has fallen asleep watching the murder tape. So he quickly like takes the tape out and puts it in his pocket, which is one of the few good moves that a character makes in this movie. And then um, uh, Becky takes takes him by the hand into her room. It's like very hard to seduce Henry, but she's going to really give it a go. And it starts, it actually starts to work. It seems like they're actually, crazy kids are actually going to get somewhere. Uh, I haven't seen a relationship this promising since the one in Boxing Helena. Uh, check out episode two of Grave Wax Podcast for that one. But what you know it, passed out Otis isn't passed out so much after all. It's like he could smell someone about to have uh, happiness, so he's got to go in, in there and uh, cock block these two. He appears at the the doorway and says, uh, I ain't interrupting anyone, am I? So that just kills the mood, crushes everything. So uh, Henry asks if he's got any uh, cigarettes, and Otis says, uh, well, not since Superman died, another trademark Otis witticism. So Henry's going to go out to the store, and you know, there's always a point in these movies where many times as I watch him, I want the outcome to change. And here's one of the main ones where I want the outcome to change. Henry, don't go out for cigarettes. Don't do it. Uh, just uh, do anything else other than leave Otis alone with her. Because uh, as soon as he walks out the door, uh, Otis smiles at Becky and says, oh, why don't you go get your poor old brother a beer? Just like he did Sid the last time before he grabbed her. So... Uh, it turns out this this I, I, this is where I'm thinking the movie might not have a happy ending after all. I mean, as much promises as we had there. So Henry goes uh, off to this shitty corner store to buy his pack of cigarettes, and this is a pretty cool scene. It's kind of a extend. It's like a longer scene, not too long, but just the right amount of uh, atmosphere, and you just kind of get the sense of, you know. Henry, he, he could do anything, but you could feel the pressures on him. Just for the simple outing, you feel the tension and the pressure on this man's psyche. And so he goes in, he gets his his two packs of cool regulars. That's his uh, brand of choice. The clerk uh, asks, uh, how about them bears? And because they're in the Chicago, Chicago Bears there, reference for all you sports fans. And uh, Henry says, fuck the bears. And if I'm not mistaken, that clerk was the producer of the movie i'm not sure i don't have it written down but i think he had something to do with that uh and you know when you're rude to a clerk karma always gets you instantly and so uh, we're, we'll see we'll see how he's going to suffer in just a moment 
But as he's, he's taking his walk back, he sees this uh, this lady walking her dog in the alley. And this lady, you know, she handles herself really well. I think this lady has seen a few things. She's a smart person because uh, she realizes that as nice as Henry's being, again, you got to ask yourself, why is someone being nice? I mean, obviously people love dogs. And, of course, he's talking about this nice dog she's got there. But uh, as soon as she can, she says, uh, well, got to go now and uh, gets away. And I always, I always appreciate and respect and admire people who can just extricate themselves uh, from conversations and situations like that. Uh, I, I, I'm not always that smooth. I don't know if you can tell by the way I conduct these uh, Grey Wax podcasts, casts, but I'm not always the best uh, speaker and communicator. Uh, but uh, we're working on it. So Henry finally gets back to the apartment, finally goes up the stairs, and you know he should have just really double-timed it because uh, once he's in there, uh, Otis is in the act of, of raping Becky. Uh, she's, like, uh, being strangled with a scarf. I mean, it's it's a pretty bad situation to be in, you might say. So Henry comes in, and he just masterfully kicks Otis off of her, and that starts off this fight between these two titans of uh, serial killer uh, infamy. And Otis, uh, Otis was never, he, he always tended to defer and back off to Henry. Apparently Henry was the alpha, but in this uh, fight for your life situation, Otis, you can't count him out because he, he has this wild card uh, perversity and uh, just evilness and you never know what he's going to do. And he ends up hitting Henry with a bottle and he's about to get him, but uh, Becky is recovered and she ends up stabbing him in the eye. And this is the one that this is a one of the few gore effects you see in camera in this movie. It's pretty well done for a low budget feature. It comes in real quickly. I mean, that's the key to the success of these things. So like Otis, you just kind of feel the stab right in his eye and he's just reduced to screaming. And then uh, Henry has to recover and finish him off with a knife. And this is and then this aftermath, this is really the I think the most artistic achievement, greatest artistic achievement of the film, perhaps, because there's there's such chaos, there's such violence, there's such uh, misery, but at the same time, uh, these characters they've probably never been more likable because they almost they're almost escaping from their horrible situation, and certainly Becky's completely sympathetic character. So Henry's just really frustrated. He's screaming like, "Let me think." Uh, it's like that's not his strong suit but he ends up uh, dragging the body to the tub and dismembering it he's putting it in a garbage bag and so they they end up escaping they they load up the car they've got the big suitcase full of otis and so they leave he dumps uh, some bags over the bridge there's like a, a really touching scene in the car it's a really well composed shot they're like filming through the the front windshield and uh, they have this really uh it's this the conversation is like the dialogue is like minimal but it gets the point so well and of course it's because they have great actors like there's it's really a good thing that john mcnaughton cast really good actors for this because you could see it being becoming uh, really shitty otherwise but of course uh michael rooker and tracy arnold great actors and you know uh, Becky's really worried about what's going to happen. She she's never she's been experienced so much, but not this, and something that she has to deal with, and something she's almost implicated in herself. And so Henry starts telling her this wonderful story about his sister. He has this sister who raises Arabians out west, Arabian horses, and 
they can go to this farm and live there. And, uh, you know, of course, the the chances of this being an actual story are very slim. But, of course, uh, it's something for Becky to believe in in the moment. And you wonder, even wonder how much Henry uh, believes his story, that he can actually pull this off, or whether the inevitable is simply going to be inevitable. But that's just what makes it so great. And then the final, after they're done, the camera, and I guess it was just filming when a car ahead of them just kind of speeds up and they kind of lose themselves, lose uh, Henry and Becky's car uh, kind of in the multitude of every, everything else on the street. Just, I just love that scene. So they end up going to um, this motel, this uh, shitty motel, and Henry stops and he stares into the mirror in the bathroom, which became a famous still uh, shot and the poster of the movie. Becky's sitting out uh, strumming on the guitar, the famous guitar of the hitchhiker. So that's like a callback and uh, a hint that things might not be going so well. But then uh, you kind of like have you have that whole long night and then the sun comes up the next day and uh, Henry's going to shave in the mirror. He's going to put his bags in the car and then he starts then he gets in the car and drives off and he's alone. So what what's going on with that? Well, he uh, also uh, one other thing when he when he pulls out, this is the first time I noticed he has a bumper sticker called <laughs> the moose is loose. It's like someone should make those bumper stickers again. I don't know exactly what they refer to, but they're awesome and everyone should have one. Uh, but anyway, he's driving off to nowhere alone and uh, he ends up pulling over uh, in this kind of just kind of a nowhere's uh place there's no buildings around it's just uh trees and he gets out he opens the trunk and he actually has to wait for like two cars to pass i wonder if uh, that was planned or if that was just there were two cars on the on the road that passed by but uh, anyway he works with it well and then he ends up pulling out the suitcase and just dumping it on the side of the road not very far not even in the ditch or behind some trees or anything just out on the road uh, very, very sad because we know who's in there. He gets in and drives off and we just kind of like look at the suitcase, which is a little bit bloody. And it's like, well, that's what happened. Uh, and that's what happened because that's where the movie ends on a very uh, bleak note there. So there you have it. The artistic proof positive that you cannot trust serial killers after all. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This was a very fun episode uh, despite all the uh, heartbreaking uh, destruction of lives, but that that never stops us from having a good time. As I'm recording right now, it's about a week and a half away from Halloween. I might try to uh, double time it and get one more episode out right in time for Halloween. I think that would be pretty fun. Uh, otherwise, it'll just be my usual month or two break in between episodes. We'll see how it all goes. We'll see if I'm uh, either a proactive Henry or just kind of a lazy Otis about this. But until then, just be aware of your surroundings at all times and enjoy some horror movies and have a happy Halloween and I'll talk to you next time.